For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Recorded live. Hello and welcome. This is me, Denise Michaels. Today is Monday, February the 29th here in Las Vegas. And in Beijing, it is Tuesday, March the 1st. So we're not only on different days, we're on different months. Hello there, Sean. (laughs) Hi, Denise. This is a first for me, having calls like this on a different month. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Me, Me too. So anyway, so um, I mail, I emailed you uh, chapter one, and mm-hmm. you kind of like started glancing over the beginning. You said you liked the opening story, so that's a good sign. And, uh, you know, you, you always want it to be kind of a gra- attention grabber as much as you can, especially, especially on, on uh, um, chapter one, you know. Um, next in line in your book outline is why do an international business? So um, is that kind of, you know, I kind of like to, if you want to bounce around, let you bounce around. But if you're comfortable going chronologically, that's okay by me as well. So does that work for you? Yeah, I I agree. And I think uh, let's let's begin there. We may not, you know, I may not be able to to have all of the thoughts that I would want to portray in the book there today on this point. But let's just open the open the door and chat about it for a while and see if we can get uh, get some good content. Sure, sure. Let's see what happens. So anyway, on um, in Chapter 1, you told me that it was about in 2000 that you and Carmen started thinking about this idea of having an international business. Um, mm-hmm. You had been with Excel. We're not mention- You'll see I don't mention Excel. I just say a telecom company, you know, in the chapter. But anyway... Um, you started with Excel in, looks, uh, uh, if I'm remembering the dates correctly, I think it was towards the end of 96 or the end of 95. But anyway, you uh, said it was about 2000 when you started thinking about it. And, um, you know, they didn't have a lot of international business, but they were talking about opening up in the UK. What was it about doing an international business that, just kind of captivated you and Carmen so much. You know, I think part of it is um, part of it is that you, you 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 don't know what you don't know. You know, there's this there's this unknown thing, and a lot of people's experience around the world comes from movies or TV or the internet or friends that have gone places. But you know, maybe you have never, maybe you know, we had never done any international. Let's call it. Uh, transatlantic or trans-Pacific travel um, prior to that. You know, we'd gone to the, you know, gone to Mexico a couple of times and things like that, but then you start to meet some people from all over the world, and especially growing growing up in the Midwest, well, like growing up in California, where, you know, everybody's from everywhere type thing. Um, True. It's really true in Las Vegas. Oh, I would think it, you know, Las Vegas is a melting pot of the world. We're like really a melting pot here. 
you know. For sure, so. for sure. And so you start to, you know, in that environment, you experience different cultures and, you know, different backgrounds and, and things that I think are just add so much diversity and spice to life and to business. Um, but, you know, certainly where I grew up, I mean, I graduated with 130 people in our class in a town of 3,000 people. Uh, and that then was your to college high school graduating class was 130? Yeah, 100, 130. And, um, wow. <laughs> wow. I don't know, it was, it was, you know, yeah, it's small, you know, but it was, it was one of those things where, you know, it, it's a wonderful part of the country. And I think when you start to get to be 17 and 18, you don't appreciate it for what it is until you leave. And so every 18 year old wants to kind of get out on their own and, you know, go experience life, and and um, and then at some point you appreciate kind of where you came from and the relationships and the family and friends you have in that part of the world, and um, and so you know, in our college experience um, was was still in North Dakota. It wasn't an Ivy League. It wasn't a, you know a forty thousand person campus. It was ten twelve thousand people at a at a, uni, a you know a, a, a state university. Uh, in North sure. Dakota. So, you know, you'd still meet people, but you had enough of a taste of it. Um, spring break and family trips throughout the throughout the years to different parts of the U.S., whatever, that the idea of travel and experiencing things and seeing things, and I, I think is attracted to the vast majority of people. But, you know, people don't do it because of no time and no money. And right. I think right. if people were given the time and given if they, if they, if they could create the time and they had the money, most people would, and they and they certainly have the health. Most people would love to go experience so, things, and so, so for us. So Sean, um, go ahead, let me go, go back ahead. a little bit because you know, in in chapter one, I mean, there's some stuff in there about how you, you know, wanted to be an airline, air, commercial airline pilot, and all that. Was that about the travel connected with that, or was it more about you know being with these massive machines and controlling it and flying it and everything? I think it was probably some of both. I don't think it was driven one way or the other uh, by, by one specific thing. You know, I think you looked at it and it was, uh, uh, you know, at that point in your life, you, you just are looking for a good job. And, in, and in, it certainly seemed like that would have been a good job and it would have been a good career and a, and a, and a you know, a respected career and a professional and, and, and a high you know, high profile and all the, and you can make some money, you know, you can go make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year as a pilot. Um, sure. Back you know, then. Yeah. You know, back then, you know, and all, all these things were, were kind of like the piece to it. And it seemed like it'd be fun. And, you know, you, you're, a, and you know, you're women a, love a man in uniform. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, uh, <laughs> probably so. So, um, you know, so I think that was all part of it, but then, you know, that's, that's different than, you know, the other part is you'd start to meet some people in the industry who had built businesses who said, you know, or you'd read stories about people that said, you know, I helped open a country and, you know, I have uh, 40,000 people in my downline or 50,000 people in my downline. And, that, and at that point, we were young in our networking career, and we were like 40,000 people. If I could Holy get 40, wow. you know, if I could get 40 that actually wanted to do something, that would be great, you know? I mean, how would you... How would you possibly do that? And so, you know, the idea of blending cultures and and experiencing things, I, you know, maybe for for me, I always had just uh, I would default to respect of of a different culture, um, you know, and just say, wow, there's got to be some great things about this people in this culture that I don't know and would love to learn from, as opposed to you know we do it right and and somebody else does it wrong, and so you know for us we you know Excel started to show that. 
that opportunity that it could be real. The company is going to go. They're going to invest the time and the money. They're going to get the licenses. They're going to get the services and products set up there. All we need to do is bring the people. Now, you know, again, right. we're in, in the learning stage of things, and we, we don't know how to do that. But, you know, at the end, it was more of an emotional thing in the, in the beginning than it was as much of an kind intellectual. Kind of romance, you know, the yeah. romance of international travel. Right. And I mean, you and, and then having a business that, you know, it would pay you and, you know, can you imagine having a downline report in languages that you can't read and, the, and a business that the sun never sets on your business? Someone is always selling product and always you're making money 24 hours a day because some, yeah. it's, day, it's daytime somewhere. And so, you know, I didn't I didn't go through at that time and and really understand um and even in 2000, we, it's different than it is today of how sure. much simpler it's become, you know, how, how not only international travel has become simpler for people, uh, but people are so much more connected. You know, I, I grew up with the, the seven-something seven of Kevin Bacon or whatever it is, you know. Oh, seven, six degrees of se- six, separation. Six degrees of separation, yeah. Did you read that Facebook article here a couple of weeks ago that Facebook uh, – basically looked in their community, which is a billion and a half people or whatever the number now, and they uh, all over the world, and they have determined, they actually did a study. Did you hear this or not? Um, they, I, they yeah, I, a, I, it, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I'm not remembering, so go ahead and yeah, go through it. it. You know, it's something that, you know, six degrees of separation in, in oh, 2000. separation from that, Kevin Bacon and everything yeah. leads back to Kevin Bacon. Right. Right, you know that's that's what it, and that that's the whole story is that everybody's only seven people away from knowing Kevin Bacon or something. So, right. but but actually, Facebook came and they did. They actually spent a lot of money in a study and they found that in the Facebook world, people are only three point six people away from everybody. Uh, wow. Within, within the world, so look how in just a decade or two, how quickly the the world has changed. And so, how easy is it to? You know, I mean, it's there's this unknown romance thing that says, "Gosh, I'd love to do business in Asia, but I, I or Europe, but I don't, I don't know anybody there." And then you you start to look at how simple it is to connect with people there, just through common interests online and through organizations and you know, you know, group chats and things like that. You can start to at least open the door with people. Uh, now that that doesn't, you know, that's not the that's not the uh, statistical side of networking when you take a look at and, and this is an aside talking to you now, Denise, but what we really should try and do is just find some simple uh, statistics of the Direct Selling Association that shows okay. what percentage of sales in direct selling are international. I mean, Americans came up with the idea of direct selling, of network sure. marketing. Sure. We pioneered sure. the thing. We brought it around the world. But today – massive amounts more sales are being done around the world, obviously, than they are in the U.S. And so mm-hmm. you, you look at, you know, the reasons for that. Um, you know, we talked about varying levels of development in a country, you know. When, you, you know, when you've had it too good for too long, sometimes it can, can promote a, an element of overall um, laziness or an element of overall entitlement. And I'm not pointing fingers to any one people or country or organization, but I'm saying that you, uh, there are certain areas in the world that you don't have to experience very long before you realize that the hunger level is different to some right. degree. the desire. And, you know, um, I have heard this, and, and you can confirm it, whether it's true or not in your experience. And what I've heard is that, you know, um, um, international businesses 
with um, network marketing kind of burst upon the scene like 20, 30 minutes, 20, 30 years, what am I saying minutes, 20, 30 years after network marketing kind of came to be. Now, obviously, that's going to be different from one company to the other, but it wasn't like the first thing that happened. It happened after there was some saturation level with certain companies in the U.S., you know. But it's like they got to work out some of their problems before they went overseas to different countries, you know. And yeah. the first thing the first thing that pops into my brain, you know, I wrote this nice thing about how your parents were in Amway. You'll see towards the bottom of the chapter. But it's like Amway really got a bad name for this thing. They'd kind of trick people into coming to meetings, you know. Right, right. Right. And different companies got known for different things. But, you know, they learned after a period of time, it's like, yeah, that might work in the short run, but it doesn't work in the long run, right? You know? So what's your experience as far as how direct selling or network marketing is perceived when you go to other countries? You know, I think it's changed even in the 10 years that we've, you know, 10 to 15 years that we've been doing international business. Um, I think it's very well known uh, as far as what it is today uh, in most of the countries we've done business in anyway. I mean, if you get into some some real developing countries, you know, you know, Mongolia, certain places in, sure, in Africa, sure. you know, things like that. But there, you know, there's there's some really good. And an aside, there's some really good information on international markets of direct selling in the Networking Times magazine that like, Harmon and I were featured in. They've done some real specific articles on that and written about different countries around the world. It's not new anywhere in the world, you know, which mm-hmm. which right. is a good thing. Like any profession, it's becoming more mature. People are becoming more educated. You know, our business model is just plain and simple, one of the most effective ways to bring a product or service to an end consumer, period. And so companies are looking at this saying, if you've got a legit product um, and you you play by the book, you can come into a country and you, you may not even be a very old company today. You know, in the past, it used to take a lot of infrastructure and a lot of dollars and a lot of investment, but today... You know, companies are going on a consumer model or a cash and carry model, and they can open 10, 20, 30, 40 countries in, you know, a period of a few years and, and, and have it, you know, really become a light, dynamic, well-oiled machine. Um, now, it depends on what your product's offering is, and it depends on, you know, what your target is in that particular country. It depends on the government regulations and all these things. But, but yeah, in the, in the old days, certainly – you know, Amway vetted their you know, through their issues and their distributor issues, and and then they went around the country. Today, Amway does four billion U.S. dollars a year in sales in China alone, and that's wow. that, that's, that, that's you know it's it's thirty thirty forty percent of their global sales. Ninety countries they're in come from come from one country, um, but you know what? You still uh, you still have the the you're still in every country you're going to have the perception of of you know, some people think it's a pyramid scheme where you're going to have the, the what I'll call the uneducated perception. Uh, right. You know, so, people, that, so that happens in other countries too then. Absolutely. For sure. And, okay. You know, but okay. what, what happens is it, 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 it comes from either a bad company, a bad product, or a bad person. You know, and if people, and if one of those three is not being ethical, honest, 
dealing with integrity, um, you know, having an end consumer in mind, uh, if, they, if they've got their priorities messed up, that's where people's experience will come from. And it could come from a, a you know, a bad distributor just, you know, not really putting forth effort and then wanting to blame someone else type thing. So a bad uh, company, a bad product, or a bad person? A bad person, you know. And I don't bad. know if you want to use the word bad necessarily. Well, but, well, I'll, I'll find something. <laughs> you know, but, okay. but, you know, I think the bottom line is, is that, you know, networking uh, is a distinguished profession, in my opinion. It's done mm-hmm. by, by professionals that have high code of ethics that uh, are about educating and developing consumers and about building teams uh, through leadership development, training, and, uh, and personal growth and, uh, and, 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 and giving people skill sets uh, that they need to, to become a professional. Um, you know, however, if people try and do shortcuts or, or you have a company whose product isn't, isn't all they promise it to be, you're going to have people with bad experiences. But, you know, Denise, how different is that than, you know, Volkswagen uh, saying sure. that the emissions are, are good and then you find out they're lying to the world, you know? Right, so, right. Uh, you know, You're there's, exactly there's, right. There's incidences of that in, in every profession out there. So, so what we do is, you know, you look at the international deal and you say, um, why is it attractive? Because, one, it's much more possible today. You know, it's like, it's like it, you know, it makes your pond – five times bigger or whatever the number, three, four, five, depending on your company, you know? Um, I mean, when you have 300 million people in the U.S., 200 and however many million adults, and you start to, you know, start to multiply that by just a few countries, and all of a sudden you've doubled your possibility. Then you put in, um, you put in the fact that in certain, certainly developing countries, uh, there are much fewer opportunities legitimate opportunities to go out and build something for yourself um, and actually make a bunch of money, then there, you know, then there are, there's more people that want it than there are opportunities, you know, and we'll, have to, I, we'll talk about China. It, up until 1979, you know, when Deng Xiaoping opened this little rice village in the southern part of China, um, uh, you know, it was, and he said, this one small little area we're going to test Western capitalism, and we're going to allow, and I, I, should, I need to find what the saying is, is some, we're going to allow some, some cats to get rich. If a cat is white or a cat is black, it's both are fine, but some cats will get rich, allow some cats to get rich. And so, um, it, you know, they, they basically said, in this little area, we're going to allow you to own and control your business. You know, I, I, uh, up until that, it didn't matter who you were, how smart you were, how educated you were, how good you were at anything, it only mattered who your parents were. Really, I mean, it, it, I, have friend, I have partners here who, before the, you know, the, the current government, the current political system took over, they owned businesses in the, in the late 40s. Their grandfathers owned businesses, and they were successful, and they owned land and all these things. And one day, it was in one day, the government came in and said, this is all ours now. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you are the same as everyone else. We, we put you in this. And so, it, you know, to go from... We can have a chance to go earn and, and you know, to, to, to go to that from saying it doesn't matter how good you do, you know, you're going to be the same as everyone else. Um, gosh, people want that. They, that's, it's human nature. It's innate inside of us, I believe, 
And so my point is, is that we don't have a true understanding of that cultural background that so many other countries came from, maybe not necessarily Europe, or it was a long time ago in Europe, a longer time ago than developing nations. Um, you know, we don't, we, we, our country was, was built upon and founded upon the idea of free enterprise and capitalism and the ability sure. to work sure. hard and grow. So we don't have the stories of our grandfathers' grandfathers. You know, our stories was they worked their tails off as farmers to survive and, you know, plow their 10 acres of land and whatever. Hey, um, I tell you, it's a different thing in the rest of the world. And so the psyche is different. The psychology is different. And so they're looking at what the West has done and what Americans have accomplished. And they're saying, and now governments are allowing people to do that. Direct selling is becoming not only common, but more promoted in international markets as a viable way when it's a legit company, a legit product to provide jobs in their, right. in their countries. And so, um, you know, and, and to provide a product that brings value to the end consumer in, in that market. So you said, take a look at that as an American or as, as somebody as a, you know, that wants to expand, you say, not only is it being promoted more by international markets, but the world is getting smaller. And my, my, the pond that I'm gonna fish in can grow exponentially. And I have a chance to help bring a story of a company as they expand around the world and perhaps develop that story and, and be one of the pioneers of, of bringing the story of your product and your company into a new market. And then you get the life experience of saying, I can give my fam myself, my family, my kids, my team that experience, and I can earn income from different currencies all over the world, and I can see and experience things that only most people would ever even dream of. You know, all of those things together, in my opinion, is one of the most attractive things about networking. Because if I'm sitting there owning a Subway franchise, you know, Carmen and I owned a Subway franchise with my parents, and I can't remember if we talked about that. Um, you know, I think you did mention it at one point. I think, yeah, I think we did talk about it. But, you know, and we say, okay, well, I own a Subway franchise, and you've got money in a building, and you've got money in, in, in land, and you've, you've got a bit of note at the bank, and, and you buy a bunch of bread and, and, and you And you spend all your time babysitting teenagers. Oh my gosh, you're not kidding me. You know, I mean, I've, you know, some 95, before we really started direct selling, uh, we were, Karma and I worked with, my parents had just bought it. They had the money. We had 15% we had of the business. Uh, and so we worked every single day, all summer long. It was in a summer town. And it was literally 12, 14 hours a day, every single day. We didn't have a, we didn't have a day off. And then in August, we decided to try and take a Friday night off. And we were, <laughs> we're going to go to the movie. And we were like, gosh, you know, let's drive, you know, so that we don't drive by the store on the way to the movie. This, I don't think I this, even want to. Was this before you got into Excel? Yes. This was about So you, four, so you really got an example of what you did not want. For sure. Absolutely. Right? And, yeah. and this is a you know, 20, young 20-year-old kids, you know, and, and uh, sure. 20-something kids. And, I mean, it's, you know, people stealing from you and all this headache stuff. And, and, and so we, we're driving by in this pouring rain, and there's people standing. You can see in the windows of the store. We decided to drive by anyway. And there's people standing at the counter waiting to get sandwiches made. And the employee that we have on staff is standing outside smoking. 
Oh my God! And and I don't and I we pull into the parking lot. I don't think he's smoking a cigarette. I think he's got something else. Oh my God! And, and <laughs> oh so we're God. like, oh, you're killing me here, you know. So that was, you know, and so even that fight, even that fight, and this is the point we need to make. Even that fight was was crazy. You know, we had that subway store that for seven years, um, you know, and we we built it to three or four times the amount of sales that it had. It was still just you bought a job, a nightmare headache job that is hours and hours and hours. That if you didn't work it, it wasn't profitable. If you didn't right. work it, it wasn't being taken care of. You know, it's not your own. Or if other people work there, it's not their own. They don't take care of it that way. And and we finally sold it, and it was it, it was good for what it was. But my my mom would work there, and she ended up getting a heart issue from all the stress. You know, AFib because of all the stress. So we finally sold it. It's just not worth it. And um, you know, today. Our Shackley business does more in sales in five days than that uh, subway business does in a year. And wow. It, and this is, you know what? <laughs> I, have, I have heard stories of people very successful in network marketing who started out in subway and thought this is absolutely what we don't want. Isn't that funny? Mm. Well, isn't that crazy? That is crazy. You know, and man. And so you look at all that and you say, wow, all the headaches and all, and let's make, we're going to need to make a point in the book somewhere at some point about that and kind of tell that story. And, and, and it says, well, so let's say you're the guy. So what I found out is that the only way, if you really wanted to make money in a subway business, in my opinion, I go to, we went to a convention in Vegas, actually, um, you know, that same summer. And the only guys that I saw that were really successful had 15 stores. Right. And right. they had, they had enough money flowing through their hands that they could pay someone much more money than that maybe they should to really be responsible for everything in that one store, meaning they were willing to take much less profit from that one store and do a little profit sharing with that store with somebody, but that was okay because they had 15 locations. If you right. have one or two or three, it just doesn't work, right? And, and right. still to and, and still today, you've got overhead, and you have all this mess, and then you have a corporation that runs promotions that you can't control. They say, you need to sell sandwiches for $5. Well, my food cost is 50% then. Well, that's the promotion. Tough, you know? And then they get, they get 10% off the top from franchise fees and advertising fees. They get paid before the government does, you know? So, you know, you're the last guy in line to earn anything, and you have all you have your butt on the line. Now, now, let's say that you were the guy that got 20 stores in Subway. And you said, right. uh, because, it, okay, if you have one, you're going to sell to your own little circle of your community, not even the whole town, not even close to the whole town. You're going to sell to your few block radius of your community your and, no more, your, and no more ever, ever. You, you talk about a limited, limited potential for growth, and then you extrapolate that over 20 years, you don't want to bang your head against the wall. Sure. Now, let's say, let's say you've got 15 stores, and you're like, I made it. I've got, oh, let's call it $10, $15 million worth of real estate that I'm making payments on. I've got, now, now instead of 10 employees, I've got 100. Um, and, I, and, and I have 15 managers. You know, um, four of them are good. Ten are, you know, nine are okay and two are horrible. So all my time is spent trying to replace the horrible ones. And it's just fire after fire after fire. That you're that you're trying to manage, and it's still this headache. You think you're free, right? But even then, you're at 15 little neighborhood locations, and you're maxed. There's only so much you can do. You can't. Exp- 
What if I want to go to Paris and I want to get paid off and I'm sitting in America with 15 subway stores? You know what right. it would take to, to, to expand and do that? It's, an, it's not possible in that business, right? It's certainly yeah. not possible yeah. for an average person. Now you're an American that sits here in, in, in Fargo, North Dakota, where we used to live, and say, I want to get paid in pounds, in British pounds, when people buy a product or, you know, or, or, or sell a product. And, and you look and say, I don't, I don't need an office. I don't, I don't need to hire employees necessarily outside of maybe one or two companies, depending upon what we need. I don't have to, you know, the company's going to handle all the import tax and duties and all the import registrations. They're going to do all the marketing materials for me. They're going to, they're going to set up all, all the regulations and they're going to pay me. They're going to do all these different things. All I have to do is bring the people, right? And so, so your life is spent doing things that are income producing and your mind is spent bringing people to understand your story as opposed to, well, how am I going to go rent a, a, a spot for a facility and get licenses to go sell my Subway sandwiches in, in Birmingham, England? How is that possible, you know? Right. So, so all of these things sit and say, it opens the doors to global business being fair for everyone. And, right. and so it, it goes from this wish list of the fairy tale dream for 99.9% of people to reality, if you choose it to be, if, if that's important to people, if they want. Now, um, I, I think that that's, a, you know, that's an overall broad brush view of it, but look at what can happen. You know, I mean, when we, it took us a few years to find our right partner, you know, our, our Aunt Nancy, what led us to a few other people, what led us to a few other people. But like I said, in, in, in three years, uh, in, uh, let's call it four years, you know, we went from nothing to 200,000 people. And, right. and so now, now we've got little offices and little home offices all over Asia um, where people every day are sharing our product, talking about our story, telling people how they can have a better life. And, you know, uh, we have the same thing going on in North America. The sun truly never sets on our, on our business. And I can't read our, our organizational report. No? So I want to get I want to go back to the outline a little bit, and I love this stuff about Subway because, you know, it's like you are not the only her- person I've heard this kind of stuff. Every every time I talk to someone about it that knows people who have owned Subways or they've owned a few, it's like it adds another piece of the pie to the to the Subway debacle. You know, right, <laughs> right, right, right. So, Anyway, one of the things we have here on the the outline is you wanted to talk a bit about comparing and contrasting the U.S. with emerging countries. Right. You know, I, I think if you, I think you can just step away and you can look at, you can look at, um, you can look at different countries' growth and look at the up-and-coming countries. You know, it, it's pretty, like in, in Asia, and I don't know whether we want to point out specific countries or not, but um, you, you can't argue, you can't argue what uh, China has done over the last, decade, two decades, three decades. And, um, you know, so many of those places have the greatest resource in the world, which is people. You know, I mean, it, it really is, a, it, it's not oil and money and, and land, it's people. If you've got people resources and the government can put it all together, it's it'll allow opportunities for people, it's going to flourish. So um, then you, you, you combine that with the fact that says, um, you know, they're moving, a lot of countries are moving from their, out of their industrial age. And look at the boom growth that the U.S. went through as we came through World War II and kind of transitioned sure. our economy, you know? Sure. And, 
and 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 now you look at they're they're making these transitions at lightning speed time, you know, compared to compared to to the United States. You know, I mean, we talked before most most countries in in Africa don't even. I mean, technology changes so fast they don't even know what landlines are. You know, they just all jumped right to mobile phones, right? So right. Uh, and smartphones. So technology is booming these things up. So they're connecting people and they're providing opportunities through the internet access to opportunities so companies that are that are uh, dynamic enough to find ways to get their products you know legally introduced that have a good product into that country um, the people are going to grab the opportunity uh, perhaps more now um, it, 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 I'm not saying it's different in the US but we've kind of come to this stage that doing a business um, here and there is still a little bit a little, the, the mindset can be a little bit different. And I think it comes back to what is it that people, how much do people really want to change their life and change their future? Now, I'm not going to lump all Americans in one boat and put the rest of the world in another because I think apathy and, and laziness and, and entitlement comes in all forms or fashions and all skin colors and all languages. But However, there's, a lot of dumbing, there's a lot of dumbing down of America. Uh, very much so. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not going to be uncomplimentary in the book. This is just between you and me, Sean. You know, I, I, you know what? I think, uh, I think that all you need to do is spend a little bit of time outside of our country to to realize the mindset, the general mindset of of you know of people. And again, I you can't you you can't put everyone in the same bucket because we're the greatest nation in the world. We have the most creative people in the world. Uh, we've got the largest economy in the world, but I just think that the world is changing. And uh, I think that the world our children and grandchildren will grow up in will, will not see just America as the only dominant superpower in the world. Now, if the, it's the land of freedom, then I wouldn't give it up for anything. It's my, right. it, you know, but at the same time, let's be honest, the, the work ethic if I want to get something done, I was up at two o'clock this morning uh, because I needed to call some insurance guys and some lawyers and some whatever back in Minnesota. I traded a message with my parents. They're like, "Why are you awake?" And I'm like, "Well, because I can't. Because it's not like China. In China, if it's a weekend or an evening, I can send messages to these guys and they respond. And you get things done. In the U.S., if it's not between eight and five, it doesn't get done. Period. You know." Um, mm-hmm. so, and part of that is just philosophy of, 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 of work ethic to some degree, you know, but, um, you know, I don't know. I think, I don't know how the best way that we do that. Cause I'm not, I don't want to go statistics on all the things, Denise, you know, I don't want to sit and say, well, look at the growth rate of this country and that country. And you know, yeah, those things right. kind of, that kind of, that kind of pushes people off. I, I think that we want to, we want to look at it as not downplaying the U S but saying of course so many not. of the good so many of the good qualities in the U.S., the American dream, I think we can play it as this. The American dream is alive and well all over the world because you know what? Of, of, of networking. You know? I'll, I'll, never, I'll never forget, Sean, this was about, oh, let me think. Um, my husband and I, we've known each other 18 and a half years, and about three, four months before I met him, I took sort of a trip of a lifetime and went to... Turkey, and then took a cruise across the Mediterranean, and then Athens, Greece, and then flew home, right? 
Mm. And then, mm. I mean, this is like 1997, right? So I'd only had Internet like maybe, you know, a year or something. It was, it was still somewhat new, you know. Mm-hmm. And somehow some guy from Turkey connected with me. And I said, oh, I, you know, visited your beautiful country a couple of years ago, right? I mean, the guy was like 27 years old. He had a master's degree. He worked in a government office. His dream was to own a Ford Mustang. It was like, you know, I mean, obviously, if I met him in person, you know, and and he would joke with me and I would say, wait a minute, you're Muslim. You're not supposed to drink, you know, like he would say, oh, I'm going partying with my friends. Wait a minute, you're Muslim. You're not supposed to drink. He said, oh, unfortunately, we are not good Muslims, he said. Oh, boy. Right? You know, and it's like that Americanism of the American dream and the idea of hoping for a better tomorrow is not just on our shores. I completely agree. And I think that has changed dramatically in just a few generations. It yes, was I agree way. with you. You know, and so, you know, maybe even a title of a chapter or somewhere in there, a subtitle could be the American dream is alive and well, dot, 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 all over Internationally, the world. Internationally, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or something like that, you know, because I think, you know, and, and it, it's so true that, Ameri- that the world in many senses has looked at the freedom and the uh, uh, affluence and the influence that America has had over the last hundred years, that, that our country was really the, the freedoms, the, the core of what our country was founded on. And, and there are just so many countries that are just now, either from an economic standpoint, a political standpoint, um, a, so, uh, you know, a, a sociological standpoint, a, a cultural standpoint, being able to actually go achieve it. Now, that being said, what's the best vehicle to allow it? It's the same as it is here. I think networking is the best vehicle to allow it. So people are able to say, you're going to do all this for me. I just need to go bring people. Really? Wow, I can do that. And, and you know, the, I remember sitting in a – and technology allows us to connect. I remember, in, honestly, right before we started uh, Shackley, Carmen and I took a, a trip with uh, a couple, another couple, four of us, just a friend, to Africa. We were in uh, Tanzania and Kenya um, just, you know, doing the safari thing and went and saw Mount Kilimanjaro and really, really cool trip. And I remember sitting in a, you know, in a, cra- in a crappy Internet cafe in Aruba, Tanzania, of all places, and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to find the Internet and, and looked online and saw that, that, that our company had deposited our annual, our bonus, you know, our, our, our bonus for the year, and it was $55,000 bonus extra on top of our income. And I'm just sitting here thinking, I'm looking around going, you know, what an amazing, I can sit in, in, in uh, you know, Arusha, uh, Arusha, that's what it was, Arusha, Tanzania, and we can have this kind of money deposited into our account. Um, and and you look at around at all these people who are working just as hard and as just as many hours, and they maybe don't have the same opportunity. Well, they don't have that chance. Well, what does our profession bring? It brings that chance to people regardless of where they live. Yeah, and you know, to me, it's just it, it's the it's the purest form of capitalism and free enterprise known in the world today, and um, people want it. You know, look, human beings are all the same. You know, I just, no, we may we all want the same stuff. We may come from 
from you know different cultures, different histories, different backgrounds, different languages. But at the end of the day, we all I think you and I talked about this early on, Denise. We all want the same things. It's just how do you get there? You know, right. What's the you, what what kind, how do you throw wood on the fire that's inside your heart, inside your mind? And mm-hmm. you know, so that's what that's what we give people. And so now maybe the circumstances are different in a different country. Now I think it's the perfect time in network marketing because network marketing is not totally brand new in most places around the world. I right. think that when it was when it was first brand brand new 20 years ago in most countries, let's call it 20 for lack of a better number. Um, I think there was a, there was no ability for the average person to discern legitimate compared to non-legitimate. Meaning, governments were even trying to figure out all right, well, sure. what kind of rules are around these things. You know, now Europe's been there a little longer, but certainly the Asian countries are are within the last couple but, of decades. But just but just the fact that Shackley sent in Henry Kissinger to negotiate hmm. means they didn't see it was going to be an easy path to open up, you know, open up there. Not in this country. No, no way. You know what no. I mean? And, and you know, with the, with the greatest, sometimes, truthfully, with the greatest risks come the greatest rewards and things like this. You know, we talked about that being an entrepreneur earlier. And so, but the greatest risks in our standpoint are not, I need to find a couple million dollars to go get licenses and start a business in a whole new foreign world. Let the company handle that. Our responsibility is to bring people. And it's easier to do that today than it's ever been in the history of the world. And you do that by just simply networking at home and networking online and all those things we talked about. So, um, uh, gosh, where was my train of thought going here? So um, You're doing great. You're doing great. You know, a couple things I want to cover before we wrap up today, and, we, you know, we're, we're doing good on time, um, is – you know, and I think this is really true. I've really paid attention to this in my business, you know, because I do it online, basically, is um, I, I wrote down economic conditions. When it's sinking in one country, it's rising somewhere else. Totally agree. Yep, totally agree. And, and I think, you know, if we, if we can, you know, a lot of people look at Vietnam and Indonesia as countries that over the next 20 years, cannot be ignored. And when you do a little traveling around the world, you meet people that live and work in those countries, and they start to talk about really the foundation that's being made and, and what their government is doing and, and what, their, what are their major resources, what are, what are their, what's their plan, what's their trajectory. And, you know, it's encouraging in a lot of senses. Sure, they have their own issues, and international banking affects everything and, and all these things. Still, you have people that want to create a better life. And so when you talk, and so we, we give them, they get chances. We give them that chance. And it, it's kind of like when a, when a boat starts to go in one direction, it's going to be a good thing. It's just like our government. I can't put this in the book, but, you know, how, do you, how are you a, tr- a trillion and a half dollars in debt and you spend more money than you take in every single year and have for however many years since Clinton? And how do you expect that we ever get out of that? Really? I mean, it, it wouldn't work with any human being. So some governments have got that figured out on, on better scales. Now, some like Greece are a complete disaster, right? But, but when some countries are figuring out their things and they're, and, they're, and they're growing in certain areas, you're right, suppression is in other, country, other countries, and it gives you income stability, income security, and opportunity always. 
you know, in an environment. Right. Right. But, but you know, that's that's true. The economy changes. But what you were talking about, sort of these emerging economies like Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia, like South Korea has grown huge, huge yeah. amounts in the last couple decades, you know? Yes. And, and you know, for right now, the U.S., um, at least at this point, is, is still the number one direct selling market in the world. However, uh, I think Japan is number two. No. China took over number two. Japan's number three. South Korea's number four. Let's check our stats before, you know, before coming to final numbers on that. But um, I think it's next year or the year after that China is very easily projected to overtake the U.S. in terms of overall direct selling. And, oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, uh, we will, I forget the number, $30 billion U.S. dollars a year in revenue or something. Um, is, you know, it still, in, is it still predominantly um, in the cities? You know, it is, but it's becoming more and more in what they call second and, ter- and third tier cities. Because oh, okay. the, Beijing's and, you know, the Beijing's and Shanghai's of the world, you know, still there's a lot of, you know, I mean, they become financial centers of the world. You know, I, there was sure. an article, if you saw that Beijing just overtook New York as having the most billionaires in any city in the world, right here in Beijing. So um, they have like a hundred. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that billion. online over the weekend. Yeah, so um, you know, so there's still a lot of money and influence in the big cities, but the smaller cities in some of these emerging markets. You go to a small city, and they have two million people. Uh, that's a small city, you know? Uh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But it means their infrastructure, their local economy, their average wage scale is not to that of a of a Beijing or a Shanghai. And so you can go help, you know, in an emerging market, you know, you can go help somebody make a thousand U.S. dollars a month, and that's significant income, you know, for sure. a lot of people. Now you can get people to, you go help somebody make five or ten thousand U.S. dollars a month, and now we're talking, you know, ten grand a month in the U.S. is is good, you know, it's a, it's a good it's a good income, but no sure. one considers you ultra rich. No, not at all. A month, you know. So, mm-hmm. but you also make ten grand a month in in a in an emerging market. Wow, they uh, that's that that that's pretty that's pretty big living, you know. In the in that so so, so the the cost of living and the opportunity available in a given city is different even within the same country. Very much so. Certainly, yeah. very much so. You know, at least yeah. in China, it is. You know, um, you know, my experience has been primarily here. And in Taiwan, um, you know, and, and here's the thing is that certain certain countries have been open to network marketing longer. Taiwan's been open since the early 80s, you know, so and it's a little island. There's 23 million people. Um, I forget how many hundred square square miles. It's not that big. And they have, I want to say, like 900 direct selling companies there or something. So it is everyone knows is, but it, it just gives a chance for legitimacy, legitimate companies to identify themselves. And that was the point we were talking about earlier. I think the greatest time for international expansion in network marketing will be the next 20 years. Uh, it, it, the, certainly the greatest time that, that, that anyone has ever seen because now people are becoming educated. They're aware of good companies. They're aware of, you know, what, what const- more aware, not totally, but more aware what constitutes a good company, what constitutes a, a, a not a legitimate company. You know, people still want to earn money. They aren't necessarily, um, you know, they aren't necessarily, uh, what's the right word? 
they aren't overly saturated. I don't want to use that word. I don't believe in that word. They aren't, uh, haven't been completely bombarded, put it that way. They haven't been completely okay. bombarded for, for, for generations of, of networking. And, and so they're, they're, it's, still, it's still a feeling of newness in, in many countries. Um, and there's an excitement around, uh, around the profession. Um, and if you can go in and be a part of that, people are going to come look for, and that goes to what we'll talk about later about how you choose the right company. You right. Know, if those are the companies that have a, a good story to talk about, um, gosh, you can do, you know, and, and a legitimate product, you can really attract a lot of people. And you can certainly attract people that have experience in our industry who haven't found their home, who are looking to make a change. Not that it's built on that, but, um, but it certainly helps, you know. So let me ask you this. I mean, your first international experience since it was in Great Britain, I mean, people speak mostly the same language, right? I mean, there's a few right. things people say in Great Britain that is different. And, of course, in Ireland, it's it's even more different, but there's, there's still quite a bit of English. Um, did you, you know, when you were thinking about China with Shackley, were you at all concerned about, you know, how um, – like the language thing, was that at all a barrier to you or, you know, different culture? Were any of those things sort of barriers to you or you just were like kind of excited by the adventure of it all? You know, we were excited and we embraced it, um, you know, because that's just the opinion that we took from the beginning. It's just different was interesting, different was fun. Different wasn't, um, gosh, you know, ours, uh, our life and expectations and life experience is this and this and where we are is that, and that makes it wrong. Ours was, wow, it's just cool. I, 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 I like it, you know. And, now, granted, it had its challenges, you know. I mean, I, I, I remember the first time I ever sat through kind of like a small meeting with, you know, all done in Chinese by some of our guys, and it was like three hours. And I remember listening, trying to – just listening to Chinese for three hours, you went home mentally exhausted. You're like, this makes no, it's just, you know, blows your mind, but you kind of learn how to make it work in your head. And, and, um, and, and you pick up some of the language over the course of time and, and uh, you know, not that you need to, but for us, that was, that added to the excitement of it. The fact that you, you just had to think differently about it. Your roles are different. And um, you know, just because it didn't make sense to me doesn't mean it doesn't make sense to them. It's all clear to them, you know. Right, so, right. You kind of I know. Right I, you know, I've I've never lived in another country, but I've traveled to a number of countries. And you know, the old maxim they say, "When in Rome, do as the Romans," right? And yeah. of course, we have a chapter on you know dealing with different cultures and everything coming much later. But I find that so true. It's like the more you can just ease up and roll with, you know, the way it is, rather than trying to make it like you're in America, the better off you are. Right, right. I, uh, I am very much in agreement with that. And so, you know, if people, I think that the, the differences in, in life between people is what, make things, what, what makes things interesting, isn't it? You know, you different people's different experiences and the they're different cultures and they're, you know, they're different social habits and all these things are what makes things interesting. If you, if you want to go, if you want to go get off of an airplane in China, you know, no one's going to wait for you just because you're in row 14, rows 15 and 16 are just going to keep walking unless you get in the aisle, you know, in the U S you'd be like, what's up with you? You, you know, 
you know, arrogant, whatever, but there it's just culturally how they are. So love it for what it is, even though it can be frustrating at sometimes, you know, people right. by it, brushing by it. So, um, you know, and so I, I think what, what we'll do with like, with like this, you know, Denise, we'll, we'll take once you've kind of thrown together what, what the content or the general idea of, of this chapter looks like, and then I'll be able to go back and say, yeah, I'd really like to add this point or that point or, you know, not really sure. emphasize here or there or something like that. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. So, yeah, when you have a chance, this is, this is great. I got plenty for this chapter. When you have a chance to go through Chapter 1, you will see that I try, I try to be, like, diplomatic, as my husband would mm-hmm. say. You know, mm-hmm. I try to be diplomatic. But at the same time, I try to kind of tell it like it is from the point of view of your emotions and how you are growing and making mistakes and then figuring it out and all that good stuff. Yes, well, I'm excited to read it, uh, Denise, and I'm excited. Carmen and I will be on a plane tomorrow morning, so the first thing we'll do is sit down and just read, you know. And uh, oh, good, it's good. It's going to be very, very cool. So I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. We're making, we're making progress. It's coming together. We, we are making progress indeed. And w- um, when you fly, are you going to LA or Minnesota or where are you headed? Um, to the, I'll be uh, in Palm Springs for, let's see, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday about noon, I go to Minnesota. Karma goes back to Beijing. And then uh, okay. I go to Minnesota uh, Sunday, and then I'm in, in Minnesota for, a, for a, almost a week. Okay. All right. Do you want to schedule a time for next week while you're in Minnesota? Um, you know, my... My challenge is this: we have a little, we have a little project going on. In ten days, we're we're we have a uh, we're closing on a little bar restaurant um, in uh, uh, close to our hometown. That the guy that uh, is a friend is going to be a partner, and so we're kind of uh, partnering with him on this. And so we're trying to close all these things and get everything done by the tenth is our morning is the tenth is our closing day. So I want to, I'm trying to make sure that I uh, would have enough mental time to. To, to do it, granted, you and I only take an hour. Um, but and then I'm, when I'm, do you, when do you and then when do you fly home? I'm back on the let's see the 13th, 14th, 13th, and I'm 13th. Okay, so that's like Sunday, Monday kind of thing. So, so yeah, it would be like if we if we were able to do like a like a 15th your time, morning is mine. That would be awesome. Okay, so that would be Wednesday at 9 a.m. Uh, the 16th for you. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. All right, for you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no problem. I have wide swaths of time for writing. <laughs> wow, <laughs> yes. Wide uh, well, swaths. Well, what uh, does, uh, does Vegas do daylight savings time? That's after the change. Well, like right now at 6 p.m. You know, yeah. but I don't think daylight savings time changes until like the end of March, early April. I'll check it. It it changes the thirteenth of March, is what I see. Oh yeah, uh, we change. Sure, so sure. You, but you do change. So here's a, it, here's what's interesting is that we don't in China. There isn't any. So oh um, okay. So let's see, spring ahead. So six o'clock your time is nine o'clock mine. Is is okay. six too late right. for you? So I'll, I'll move it an hour later. So, yeah, that's okay. 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 That's, uh, that's, uh, well, you already wonderful. got that figured out. Man, that's early for us to change. 
change our clocks. I sure thought so too. You know, but uh, that's what my iPhone says. Maybe maybe the iPhone's wrong. Let me. Okay. Uh, well, I can't see. be wrong. It's an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, good. okay. Yeah. So we are scheduled for you Wednesday, March sixteenth, at uh, nine a.m. Beijing time. Perfect. Which Perfect. is 6 p.m. for me on Tuesday the 15th. That sounds great. Well, I'm glad we could connect, and I appreciate you taking the time again. So I'm excited to read the first chapter. Excellente. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. Take or care night. and have a safe flight tomorrow. Say okay. hi to Carmen okay. for me. Will do. Thanks, Denise. Okie dokie. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.